just two verses. You won't have to stand long, but they are important verses, and we want to show reverence and respect for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. I'm reading from Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Ever so often, it is good for us to pause our lives, rewind, and evaluate where we are spiritually. We need to look back and see how far we've come. See how much progress we are making. Once we have thoroughly examined ourselves in light of God's holy word, then what we need to do is to fast forward into the future to see where God is directing us in our steps. After we discover God's course for our lives, we must push play and move forward by faith. I like to call this forward progress, salvation in action. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi from prison. I want you to allow that to absorb into your minds for just a moment. He wrote from prison. The reason he was in prison is because he had been preaching the gospel. And it did not sit well with a lot of folks. So they started persecuting Paul. They ultimately put him to death. We know that uh, he went through a lot of pain and suffering prior to his death, but he was a faithful servant of the Lord. So he is writing this book to the Christians at Philippi, uh, not from uh, an easy chair, not from the mountain cabin, and certainly not from the beach enjoying a nice cool glass of lemonade. He was in a great deal of distress. But he loved these people and they loved him. As a matter of fact, they had missed him for some time. They had lost contact with him after he had gotten in prison. Once they were able to reestablish where he was, they sent to him a gift, some encouragement to let him know how much they loved him. And although Paul encouraged and challenged the Philippians throughout this letter, the primary focus was on living the Christian life. He wanted to encourage him, yes, but he wanted them to grow and mature and develop and become all that God had called them to be. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the passage we read together just a moment ago, Paul told how Christians can demonstrate salvation in action in their lives on a daily basis. Many times I think we as Christians think about being a Christian on Sundays. We come into church and we, uh, we look spiritual somewhat and uh, uh, we speak kindly one with the other and we go out and if we're not careful, we take our Christian clothes off and put our secular clothes on. That's never been how God intended for us to live. He wants us to live a dynamic Christian life, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week and every circumstance of life. So the message 
that Paul was writing to the Christians there at Philippi was not important just for them, but it's important for us as well. It's just as relevant, uh, uh, it's, it's just as, as important for us today as it was for those people so long ago. So my, my challenge for you tonight is that you look at this passage with me, and we're going to pull out from this text tonight uh, a number of uh, important things that we need to apply in our lives. There are two primary things I want to point out to you that I think will be very helpful as we seek to live out the Christian life. First of all, notice with me the outworking of our salvation. The outworking of our salvation. Let me read verse 12 for you again. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, there may be someone here tonight and you say, well, pastor, I thought it was always my impression that salvation was a gift from God, that we didn't have to work for our salvation. Well, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we are working for salvation. He says, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. There is a big difference. What he is saying is what is on the inside needs to come out and be displayed on the outside. We need to live out our Christian faith. And he tells us how we are to do this in verse 12. So this is the outworking of our salvation. Notice what does it look like? Well, it involves, first of all, our example. You see the words, so then. You may have in your copy of God's word, the word therefore. But it's referring to what has just been stated. What has just been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and his condescension, how he came from the glories of heaven and descended down to where we are on this lowly earth. Let me read it for you. Look with me in verse 5 as I read. You just follow along in your copy of God's word. And by the way, this is one of the, the most important statements about Christ that you will find anywhere in the Bible. Very important statement. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, be like Jesus. Have the same attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of attitude was that? Well, he goes on to verse 6 and says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is, Jesus Christ has always been and will always be the eternal Son of God. He is God. We know we serve one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6. But we also know that the scriptures teach that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Spirit is God. All three persons that make up the one essence of God. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is focused on here in these verses. And the Bible says that that although he was God and is God, he did not cling to the prerogatives of being God, but was willing to lay those aside in order to descend down to where we are. Think about how far down he had to come to to become one of us. He did not cease to be God at any moment. 
He can't cease to be who he is. But he did take on human flesh and became the God-man. You've heard me say as much man as if not God, as much God as if not man. That's who Jesus was. So he laid aside some of the glories, some of the prerogatives of being God, and he came down in a little manger bed in Bethlehem as the baby Jesus, wrapped in human flesh. The Bible says, verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. That is his humanity. He's already spoken about his deity. So he is the God man. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus came and did what we talked about this morning as revealed in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That first messianic prophecy that states that uh, there would be a deliverer that would come and crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is that deliverer. He's the one who came to this earth and lived a life the way you and I live yet without sin. And dying on the cross, bearing the penalty for our sin, and then being raised from the dead so that through faith in Christ alone, we could be forgiven of our sins and and brought back into relationship with God the Father. That's what he came to accomplish. And he accomplished it. When Jesus hung his head on Calvary's cross and said, it is finished, it is accomplished. He was saying, I have come and fulfilled everything the Father has sent me to do. It is now done. And I'm so glad he did it because as a result, I'm forgiven of my sins. And I have a relationship with my creator. I'm going to heaven to be with him one day. And if you know Christ, so will you. That's what Jesus has accomplished for us. We can rejoice in that. Now, look in verse 9. For this reason also. Because Christ did this, see the Bible says, what did God the Father do? God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, verses 5 through 11 reveal a great deal about who Jesus is. And the Bible says in verse 12, so then, or therefore, based upon Jesus' condescension to where we are and his accomplishing of the work that the Father sent him to do, and then his ascension back to his rightful place of glory, and then his name being exalted above all names, and every every knee will bow, every tongue will confess the Lord Jesus. There is coming that day. Based upon that, he says, work out your salvation. Christ is your example. The suffering servant. Have this same attitude in you that Christ had. The same servanthood that Christ displayed, you and I are to display. And here's the thing, when we do what God has called us to do in the power of the Spirit, 
then he exalts us. He lifts us up. So the same thing that Christ experienced in his ascension and glorification, we will share in his glory. And he's saying now, based upon that, let the salvation that you've experienced that Christ has brought to you be lived out daily in your lives. Not just on a Sunday morning, not just at Sunday school or the church social, but every day in your workplace, at school, in your home. Let salvation be in action. Follow the example that Jesus has set for us. So he says, working out our saving, uh, salvation involves our example, but also our relationship. Ver- verse 12 goes on and says, so then, my beloved. See those two words, my beloved, that speaks about relationship. First of all, there is this vertical relationship we have between us and God. And that has been secured through whom? Through Jesus Christ. We just talked about that. So now that we have a relationship with God, we can have a relationship one with the other. This horizontal relationship. We're the beloved. Don't you love that word, beloved? We're beloved by God. And we're to show that same type of love one to the other. We're to show love and grace and kindness. That same attitude that Christ displayed, we are to share that attitude among ourselves. We're we're in relationship together. Did you know that your relationship with those seated around you who name the name of Christ Jesus is a closer bond than those who are blood kin who don't know the Lord Jesus? Think about that. You're going to spend eternity with people who know the Lord. This is your family. You don't get closer to someone than those who are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We're the beloved and we're to display that salvation we've experienced in the way we treat one another. Isn't that good stuff? And then notice also the working out of our salvation involves our obedience. Verse 12 goes on. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have obeyed, did you know that you cannot work out your salvation apart from obedience? God wants us to obey him. Did you know Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? Obey me. And he went on to say that my commandments are not grievous. Why is that? They're not grievous because if you love someone, you want to please them. If you love someone, you want to obey them. If we truly have a love relationship with Christ the way we should, then our love should be an overflowing expression of that relationship. Our obedience should be uh, displayed in the way we treat others and the way we treat the Lord. So relationship and obedience are very important. They go really go hand in hand. Then notice in verse 12, our faithfulness is mentioned in the outworking of our salvation. For he says, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You know, when a, a child is growing up, 
the parent needs to be a guardian, needs to be there to watch and supervise. Because if you don't watch the child, what happens? Well, they have their finger in the light socket. Or they're running out the door toward the traffic. Or they're tearing something up in the house. You have to watch them every minute. Do we have any school teachers here? What happens in your class when you leave the room and leave the kids unattended? You say, I don't leave the kids in the room unattended. I've been teaching long enough to know better than that. Now, if your students act up, if they misbehave in your absence, that's a sign of immaturity. When they grow up and become adults, then you should be able to leave them on their own. Here Paul is speaking about how that these Christians are ones who are obeying the Lord and they're demonstrating faithfulness, not just when he's there in their physical presence, but he's heard of their reputation all the way to the prison where he's incarcerated. How that they're walking in obedience to the Lord and they're maintaining their faithful disposition and they're doing the things they ought to be doing. And that's where God wants us to go. He wants us to grow in our faith and spiritual maturity where we don't have to have someone standing over us holding us accountable for every move we make. But out of love and gratitude, we devote ourselves to the Lord and we obey Him. We're faithful and consistent in that obedience. What is that called? That is called working out your salvation. Maturing in the faith. Growing up spiritually. Notice also he says in verse 12 that we should be serious about this. If we're going to work out our salvation, there needs to be a seriousness about it. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The words work out there means to work to full completion. Again, he's talking about living out the Christian faith as mature believers, putting on display the characteristics of Christ as mentioned and described in verses 5 and following. He says, you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, be serious-minded about your faith. Take it seriously. The word fear is not one that means that you run and hide from God. We kind of talked about that a little bit this morning. No, it, it means that you are, are reverent toward the Lord. You have a holy respect for God. You know, I feared my parents. It was a healthy fear. There were things that I didn't do. There were things I did not get into, not because I was a good boy, but because I did not want to suffer the wrath of my dad and my mom. That was a a healthy fear. It protected me. It kept me from doing things I didn't need to be doing. 
We're to have a fear of God and tremble in His presence in the sense that we want to obey Him when we stop long enough and contemplate who this God is who created us. Rather than fearing men, we will fear God and obey Him and serve Him and be the men and women that God has called us to be. We should be serious about our faith. The idea behind this working out of salvation really is, is, um, is best described, I believe, through a word picture. And there's a couple I want to share with you. One would be of uh, minerals that are uncovered in the earth. Miners go into the earth, sometimes deep into the earth, and they, they bring out those precious metals of great value. And they go and continue to reach down and dig down into the earth. And they bring them all out, bringing them to the surface. That's the idea here, that uh, there is value inside. There, There is the working of God within us that needs to be brought to the surface and displayed. Another word picture would be that of a farmer who has a harvest in the field. And he goes through that field with a harvester, reaping that harvest, gathering in all that bountiful harvest and bringing it into the bin. He doesn't allow it to stay in the field, to waste and to rot. No, he brings it out of the field. It's, it's harvested, it's gathered because there's value to it. The same working out is what is being Demanded here in this passage that we work out, that we bring what God is doing inside of us out into our daily lives and the way we conduct ourselves. It's living out our salvation. So there is the outworking of salvation. But then secondly, in verse 13, we see the inworking of our salvation. The reason there's something on the inside that can be worked out and displayed on the outside is because there's someone at work inside of us producing something. And let's look and see what that is. Verse 13, we see the source of our in working. Don't miss this. Verse 13, for it is what? It is God. For it is God. That is the source of... Of all the things going on in us spiritually, God is at work in us. He came to live in us the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior. Christ came to live inside and to do a new work. He came and brought us from the dead spiritually. He made us alive. He's working inside of us. He's the source of that inworking. I'm so glad that my salvation is not dependent on me. I would be lost. My salvation is dependent upon God. And by the way, did you know that my conformity to Christ is not ultimately dependent upon me? It is dependent upon the Lord. He has promised that he is going to conform me as well as you to the image of Christ Jesus. Now you say, well... I'm not going to cooperate. Well, that may be an indication that you're not one of his, if that is your attitude. 
But I can promise you this, he knows exactly what to do in order to bring about that conforming process. Sometimes he has to get our attention for that to happen. But he knows exactly what to do to get my attention and yours. So he's at work within us. He is the source. But there's, uh, there's with that source, there's the strength for our in working. Verse 13 says as well, for it is God who is at work. He is at work. God is at work. You see that word work there? It's the same word. The same Greek word that we get the word energy from. God is energizing us to live the Christian life. In other words, he's empowering us to be overcomers. He's empowering us to live holy and pure lives even in a sinful and adulterous society. So that's the strength we need. We don't have this personal strength within us that's powerful enough to do what God has asked of us to do. He is at work. And then notice the sight of our in working. He says, for it is God who is at work. Where? Where? In you. He's talking to believers that God is at work in you. You say, well, I don't see much progress being made. I don't, I don't see a whole lot of changes occurring. Well, are you cooperating? Are you obeying? Are you doing what God says do with the right spirit and right attitude? Or have you been distracted by this world? You know, one of the greatest dangers in the church today, and I see it every day, is that many of us Christians, we have our focus on things that have nothing to do with Christ. I guarantee you the average Christian in our day focuses more on entertainment and other pursuits and gives very little time and attention to the things of God. And that's one reason we struggle so with immaturity is because our focus is all askew. And what God has to do is he has to do something to get us back in line, to get our attention where it needs to be. And as I mentioned before, he knows how to do it, but he is at work in you. Have you ever been driving down the road and you you come to a, a sign that says men at work? Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Just because a sign that says men at work doesn't mean that's happening. But I can tell you this. God is saying that that uh, there's a sign here in this passage that says God is at work in us. And you can believe that. He is at work in you. And he's progressing us. He's moving us along. He's changing us from the inside out. If he's not changing us, it's because we're spiritually dead inside. But if you've accepted Christ, if you've yielded your life to Christ, he is at work. The work site is your innermost being. And then notice the substance of our in working, verse 13 says. He says it's both to will and to work. Those two things. That's the subject. That's the substance, I should say, of our in working. What's going on inside has to do with the will and the work of God. 
It is God who prompts our will to even want to be concerned about spiritual things. No man is going to seek after God on his own. It is God who draws him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that unless the Spirit draws a person, he will not be interested in being saved. So it's God who draws us to himself. Now, I believe in the free will of man. I don't believe we're robots, but I do believe it is God who, who takes the initiative to pursue us and draw us to himself. So he is the one, once we are saved, who gives us the will to grow and the desire to mature and to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one who gives us the strength to work out the salvation, as we pointed out a moment ago. So that's the subject of his inworking. And then notice the satisfaction of our inworking. Verse 13 says, for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. It brings pleasure to God to see us conform to the image of Christ. To see us living out our faith brings pleasure and honor to God himself. Going back now to verse 9, as was said of the Lord Jesus, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name. Jesus has been exalted to his rightful place because he humbled himself as a servant. And now the Lord is calling us to humble ourselves as servants and take the attitude of Christ. And in so doing, we will be exalted and lifted up. We're to look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, who gives us strength to live for him and accomplish the work that is set before us. Now I want to give you an illustration of, of how that this in working inside ultimately is going to result in the outworking of our salvation. What Christ is doing inside is going to show up on the outside. Have you ever, have you ever seen an acorn? Most people have. Now I know many of you might call it an acorn. But an acorn is what? It's a seed. What kind of seed? Oak tree. If you take an acorn and you plant it in the soil, everything that an oak tree needs to ultimately reach maturity is within that seed. You think about the power that's in that seed. The DNA of an oak tree, everything it's needing is in it already at the very conception, at the very beginning. That little seed contains everything it needs in terms of, of uh, identifying the the type of tree it is, what the ultimate height of the tree, and all these things, all of that design is already in the seed. Now, water is provided, certainly nutrition is provided. But the design of the tree is already contained in the seed. 
And what I'm saying to you is everything you need to accomplish what God has called you ultimately to become is already in the inside of you. It's already there. And it is the person of Christ displayed through the Holy Spirit of God. Christ in you is the one who is working to bring outside of you the demonstration of your salvation. Salvation in action. Let me tell you, I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of pressure off of me. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. Many Christians are striving in their humanness to achieve some type of spiritual goal apart from the Holy Spirit of God. We think if I just have enough resolve, if I just try hard enough, I'm going to be able to be a godly man or a godly woman. I'm just going to try harder. And if I fail, I'm going to really buckle down and I'm going to really make it happen. You and I do not have the strength. We don't have the power. We don't have enough resolve. We don't have the know-how to accomplish what we're being asked to do in this passage. The key to living the Christian life is not me trying harder. It's me surrendering to the will of God for my life. It is surrendering to His movement within me. Daily yielding myself up and saying, Lord, I'm yielding my will to your will today. I want to walk in obedience to you. And you know when you do that, you know what happens? You want to get in this word. You want to begin to study the word of God more. Get get the mind of Christ within you. You want to communicate with the Lord through prayer. That will help you grow and mature and, and love the Lord more consistently you want to share with other people what christ is doing within your life i'm telling you it will transform the way you live and what will happen is you'll begin to see the salvation in you working its way out but it's what god is doing on the inside that's going to make that happen where does it begin well it begins with you knowing christ as your savior being a follower of the lord jesus do you know him tonight now, I would assume that most people who gather on a Sunday night are serious about their faith. And I commend you for being here, by the way. I commend you for being here. But it could be that maybe you're here tonight and you're just unsure about your salvation. You don't know for sure. I mean, you'd like to know, but you just don't know. If you're unsure about your salvation, why don't you go ahead and nail that down tonight? Just take care of that issue. If you realize you're a sinner and Jesus is the Savior, why not just call upon him and say, Lord, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I want to make it sure. If that's the case, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to make sure tonight you are a follower of Christ, would you pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart? Dear God, I know I am a sinner. And I know I deserve death and hell. But I believe Jesus lived without sin, shed his blood and died at Calvary's cross and was raised in victory from the dead. 
that I might be saved. I turn from my sin and self, and I receive Jesus as my Savior. I yield my life to you, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me and save me and give me strength to live for you every day. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I rejoice with you. Nail that thing down and move forward. Get in the Word. Begin to study and read and grow in your faith. Get in a small group where you can be challenged there and you can build some relationships of accountability and you can... Plug yourself through ministry in that small group. Very important. If you're here and you're a Christian and and you've never been baptized, baptism is such an important thing to do. It's the way you publicly display that you have become a follower of Christ. If you're here and you say, you know, Pastor, I'm a Christian, but I've never been baptized. Why don't you come down tonight and say, Pastor, I want to schedule a baptism. We will schedule it, and I, I can tell you, it's like having a big party when we baptize someone. It should be one of the most exciting things that ever happens in a church. Think, think about when a baby is born. You want to celebrate that, don't you? What do you do? You put it on Facebook, right? You want the whole world to see, and Instagram, and all the other social media sites. And your wallet or your purse is filled with those pictures. And your phone nowadays. Because you want to tell somebody. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, you should want to tell somebody. Believer's baptism is the way you do that. You come tonight.